Here it is. From deep inside your audio device of choice. Hey, who who knew that America cared so much about Afghanistan? I mean, I've after 18, 19 years of sort of a lot of silence about it, all of a sudden we care. Interesting. Uh, one thing that has um, sparked my interest this week as we've been adjured to um, think about Af- Afghanistan, I care too, is the fact that as we've been um, reviewing regurgitating, um, repenting at leisure the history of America's longest war. We've been reminded that the reason we went there, we, the United States, went there in the first place, not for the, not for the spas, but um, because we, we wanted, the United States government wanted to avenge 9-11 by getting Osama bin Laden. And he was in Afghanistan. And the way we chose to get him was to uh, send a lot of troops and shoot up the place. By contrast, sometime later, when we found out that Osama bin Laden had uh, decamped to Pakistan, we still wanted to get him, we, the United States, And the way we got him was with a small special ops force. Why the difference? Why didn't we invade Pakistan with a bunch of troops and shoot it up, bomb it? Oh, that's right. Pakistan has nukes. There's a lesson. If you want to uh, give refuge to uh, a terrorist leader, get nukes first. Hello, welcome to the show. Boy, boy, crazy boy, got cool boy, got a rocket in your pocket. And die in bed Boy, boy, crazy boy Stay loose, boy Brizzit, buzz it, easy does it Turn off the juice, boy Come and go, but not like a yo-yo schoolboy Just play it
from the Spielberg remake from Southern California speaking of which home of the homeless I'm Harry Shearer welcome you to this edition of the show more about Pakistan in a little bit but uh, now we uh, sweep up the shards of America's longest war Afghanistan's ambassador to Tajikistan which is one of its northern neighbors did you know Uh, has accused Afghan president, uh, that is to say, former Afghan president, Ashraf Ghani, he's former like Trump is former, see, of stealing $169 million from government funds. And uh, the ambassador to Tajikistan has called on international police to arrest him. Wow. Ghani, as you know, fled Afghanistan a week ago just as the Taliban approached Kabul. He didn't like their beards. His whereabouts uh, remained unknown until Wednesday when the United Arab Emirates said it has accepted him and his family on account of, quote, humanitarian considerations, unquote. I think that means cash. Ambassador Mohammed Zahir Akbar told a news conference on that same day that Ghani stole $169 million from the state coffers and called his flight a betrayal of the state and the nation. The ambassador didn't elaborate or explain his claim further. Akbar also promised to file a request to the Interpol or to Interpol to arrest Ghani. The uh, director of Interpol's National Central Bureau in Tajikistan told Russia's state news agency They haven't received such a request. Yet. Plenty of time. All the time in the world. America's longest war is at an end. But you know what continues? Our love affair with the atom. You know, people of a certain age relate to the word or the brand name Westinghouse in terms of uh, household appliances. And if you're really old, you remember a woman named Betty Furness opening refrigerator doors in the middle of the Ed Sullivan Show live. 
It's all a different Westinghouse now, ladies and gentlemen. They're in the atom business. They're in the nuclear plant business. And in the dirty part of it, apparently, a second high-ranking employee of Westinghouse is facing criminal charges in connection with the multi-billion dollar failure of the doomed nuclear project in Fairfield County, South Carolina. Jeffrey Benjamin, a former Westinghouse senior vice president of new plants and projects, faces multiple counts of fraud, according to an 18-page indictment made public this week in U.S. District Court. It's the... It's not the only one. It's just the latest criminal charge in a four-year federal investigation of what went wrong at the highest level of two U.S. Comp- companies, Westinghouse and the former Scana Corporation. Not Scama, Scana. Come on. Come on now. It's an N, not an M. The charges against Benjamin are for his role in failing to truthfully report information regarding construction of new nuclear units at the V.C. Summer nuclear plant according to a press release from the uh, U.S. attorney. Benjamin's alleged cover-up of billions of dollars in losses at Westinghouse's troubled nuclear plants in South Carolina and Georgia were part of a series of events leading to the company's bankruptcy four years ago, according to the indictment. The defendant's misrepresentations and omissions, as well as the associated cover-up, resulted in billions of dollars in losses to SCANA, ratepayers, and investors. Ratepayers would be you and me. Benjamin was responsible for Westinghouse's worldwide construction of nuclear reactors. He's the fourth person to face criminal charges in connection with the SCANA scandal. Hey, I like that. The three others, another former Westinghouse employee and two top SCANA officials, all have agreed to plead guilty to various counts of fraud. They have not yet been sentenced. Benjamin faces 16 felony counts, including conspiracy, wire fraud, securities fraud. Any other kind of fraud? Oh, causing a publicly traded company to keep a false record. Couldn't be reached for comment this week, could Benjamin? But the uh, slogan from days of yore, you can be sure if it's Westinghouse, seems, um, seems even more archaic today. And Dateline Richland, Washington, Hanford workers at the uh, big place that used to make plutonium for bombs. Hanford workers have begun emptying radioactive waste from a leak-prone underground tank. The second such tank they have tackled this year. Well, if you're tackling the tank, okay, you've wrestled it to the ground, but then what? No. They've started work on tank AX-103, which has 104,000 gallons of waste, mostly in the form of salt cake. Mmm, salt cake. They want to transfer as much waste as possible from the single-shell tank into one of the nuclear reservation's sturdier double-shell tanks. This is from the Tri-City Herald. You may ask, why not the double-shell tanks in the first place? Yep, you may. Quote, it's not easy to access the tanks or move this kind of waste. It takes specialized tools and techniques that have been developed, tested, and proven successful to meet this challenge, said the Department of Energy's Hanford Tank Farms director. Any guesses on the name? Yeah, Ricky Bang. (laughs) No, I'm not kidding. Ricky Bang, ladies and gentlemen. Let's have a hand for Ricky Bang. Tank AX-103, built in the early 1960s, with a capacity of one million gallons as one of four tanks in a group called the AX Tank Farm. It's the current focus of waste retrieval work. 
To date, the Department of Energy has completed waste retrieval from 18, hey, of its 149, oh, single-shell tanks, some of them built as early as the 1940s. Well, why should we care and bother and thing? At least two of the tanks yet to be emptied are leaking nuclear waste into the ground below. Thank goodness there isn't a river or anything going near that has fit. News of our friend the Atom. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we um, have been taught to fear the influence of Facebook in terms of myths and disinformation. And we've been taught that uh, influencers are a thing. Here's a story from the BBC that would uh, bring both those teachings into question, if not deep shade. Facebook has removed hundreds of accounts, which it says were involved in anti-vaccination disinformation campaigns operated from Russia. The company said the network of accounts targeted India, Latin America, and the good old U.S. of A. They attempted to recruit influencers to spread false claims to undermine public confidence in COVID-19 vaccines, said Facebook. In its latest report on, quote, coordinated inauthentic behavior, unquote, unquote, that's my favorite kind of behavior, Facebook said it found leaks between the network and a botched disinformation campaign from influencer marketing agency Fezzi, F-E, no, F-A, Fazzi, Fazzi, which is a part of a Russian-based company called AdNow. Last month, a BBT, BBC investigation reported how in May this year, influencers have been offered money by Fazzi to spread false claims about the risks associated with the Pfizer vaccine. According to Facebook, that was the second wave of attempts by the network to smear Western vaccines. The investigation found that from November 2020, the same network attempted to falsely paint the AstraZeneca vaccine as dangerous because it uses a harmless adenovirus taken from chimps. Posts from accounts in the network spread memes that used images from the Planet of the Apes films to give the impression that the vaccine would, yes, turn people into monkeys. They say that if it's a bad thing. These posts appeared on Facebook in Hindi, Around the same time, the Indian government was discussing emergency authorization for the AstraZeneca vaccine. Campaign used fake accounts, some of which Facebook says probably originated from account farms in Bangladesh and Pakistan. I hope they're not using land that could have been a real farm. They're starving over there. Facebook said it had removed 65 Facebook accounts, 243 Instagram accounts for violating their policy against foreign interference. Facebook's threat intelligence lead, Ben Nimmo, described the campaign as a disinformation laundromat, which placed content on a few online forums and then amplified that content on other platforms. More than a dozen misleading posts appeared on Reddit and Medium, and petitions appeared on Change.org expressing concern about the safety of the AstraZeneca vaccine. And then these links, according to Facebook, were shared by a handful of influencers. You can get them in in your hand? I think they're being metaphorical. On Instagram, who used the same hashtags and made references to the fact that the AstraZeneca's 
vaccine was derived from chimp adenovirus. Both waves of the campaign were unsuccessful and failed to gain much traction, despite the diversity of methods used. Quote, in addition to the previously exposed efforts to enlist social media influencers, this operation appears to have used a whole range of tactics in a wider effort to seed misleading narratives online about Western-made COVID vaccines. That's the comment of Jack Stubbs, director of investigations at a social media analytics firm. Despite the best efforts of the campaign, Facebook's report observed sloppy practices, including mixing languages, such as posting Hindi-language memes, accompanied by hashtags in Portuguese. Fazzy was part of a Russian company ad now. The BBC made repeated attempts to obtain a comment from AdNow's headquarters in Moscow, received no response. A director of AdNow's British arm told the BBC Fazzy was being shut down. But influencers, ladies and gentlemen, failed to influence. Better give those schmatas back now, ladies. And now... Hey, remember BlackBerry? They made those little portable phone things. But they're in a different business now. A flaw in software made by BlackBerry has left 200 million cars, along with critical hospital and factory equipment, vulnerable to hackers. And the company made this information available right away. No, it opted to keep it secret for months. Isn't that cute? Un. Tuesday of this week, BlackBerry announced that old but still widely used versions of one of its flagship products, an operating system called QNX, contain a vulnerability that could let hackers cripple devices that use it. Other companies affected by the same flaw, dubbed bad alock went public with that news way back in May. Two people familiar with discussions between BlackBerry and federal cybersecurity officials, including one government employee, say the company... BlackBerry, initially denied that bad alloc impacted its products at all, and later resisted making a public announcement even though it couldn't identify all of the customers who used the software. This is from Politico. Back and forth between BlackBerry and the government highlights a major difficulty in fending off cyber, uh, cyber attacks. I can't even say it. They hacked my mouth on increasingly Internet-connected devices, ranging from robotic vacuum cleaners to wastewater plant management systems. I'll take the vacuum cleaners for 300 When companies such as BlackBerry sell their software to equipment manufacturers, they rarely provide detailed records of the code that goes into the software, leaving hardware makers, their customers, and the government in the dark about where the biggest risks lie. Maybe BlackBerry should have died. In recent years, that has become a major supplier of software for industrial equipment. Oh, a QNX powers everything from factory machinery and medical devices to rail equipment and components on the International Space Station. Bad luck could give hackers a backdoor into many of these devices. Dick Cheney's pacemaker? Allowing bad actors to commandeer them 
or disrupt their operations. I think we're hearing too much about bad actors these days. Where's the Screen Actors Guild when you need them? Microsoft security researchers announced in April they discovered the vulnerability and found it in a number of companies' operating systems and software. In May, many of those companies worked with DHS's Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency to publicly reveal the flaws and urge users to patch their devices. BlackBerry wasn't one of those companies. They told the um, Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency at DHS earlier this year. They didn't believe Badalock had impacted their products, even though CISA had concluded that it did. Go argue with the government. Oh, they did. That's according to two people, both of whom spoke anonymously because they prefer to live. Over the last few months, CISA pushed BlackBerry to accept the bad news, eventually getting them to acknowledge the vulnerability existed. Then BlackBerry said it didn't go, intend to go public with the problem. The company told CISA it planned to reach out privately to its direct customers and warn them about the issue. Tech companies sometimes prefer private vulnerability disclosures because doing so doesn't tip off hackers that patching is underway, but also, also because it limits or delays public backlash and financial losses. Yeah, that's also. That outreach would only cover a fraction of the affected companies because BlackBerry told CISA it couldn't identify everyone using that software in order to warn them. Well, that would be reason for doing it publicly, wouldn't it? But BlackBerry licenses QNX to original equipment manufacturers, which in turn use it to build products and devices for their customers. BlackBerry told the government it doesn't know where its software ends up. Well, I do. In the digital junk pile. The people using it don't know where it came from. Its known customers are a comparatively small group. Oh, that's that's what I call a system. CISA produced a PowerPoint presentation just because they liked the alliteration. No. Uh, Political reviewed it. It stressed that many BlackBerry customers wouldn't know about the danger unless the federal government of the, or the original equipment manufacturers told them. The government agency even cited potential risks to national security and noticed that the Defense Department had been involved in finding an acceptable timing for BlackBerry's announcement. Uh, Tuesday at 4. CISA argued the BlackBerry's planned approach would leave out many users who could be in real danger. And a few weeks ago, BlackBerry agreed to issue a public announcement. That happened this past week. They urged their customers to upgrade their devices to the latest version of QNX, whoever they might be. In a statement to Politico, BlackBerry didn't deny that it initially resisted a public announcement. Software communications occur directly to our customers, the company said. However, we will make adjustments to this process in order to best serve our customers. Because we don't know who they are. No, they didn't add that. That would be too true. QNX is used in a wide range of products whose compromise could result in a malicious actor gaining control of highly sensitive systems, said Eric Goldstein of the Cyber Division of the Government. We're not aware of any active exploitation. Cybersecurity experts say resolving the problem will be a major task for BlackBerry and the government. 
In a June announcement about QNX's integration into 195 million vehicles, that's cars to you and me, BlackBerry called the operating system, quote, key to the future of the automotive industry, unquote, because it provides a, quote, safe, reliable, and secure foundation for (laughs) autonomous vehicles. BlackBerry bragged that QNX was the embedded software of choice of 23 of the top 25 electric vehicle makers. And that's not... That's before you get to the fires and the crashing into cop cars. The coronavirus pandemic ushered in the instantaneous widespread use of QR codes. Restaurant industry experts think the technology will stick around a long time after the health crisis ends, according to CNBC. You know what QR stands for? Quick response. There you go. See? You've learned something, and it's not halfway through the program. Invented by a Japanese engineer in 1995 to keep track of car parts, mainstream saw the entry of QR codes years later as smartphones with cameras took over, but not till the pandemic forced businesses to double down on on sanitizing. They became a ubiquitous site inside bars and restaurants instead of paper menus. But aside from being able to uh, update instantly when there are supply shortages, which is the declared reason restaurants like using QR codes, there's the little thing of QR codes codes enable restaurants to gain data on everyone who's sitting at every table. Because everybody has to have their own menu. Thanks, restaurants. Thanks, Japanese engineer. And a committee at the University of Texas in Austin has advised against using AI, artificial intelligence software, to oversee students' online tests. Yes. Automated proctors. It is a gamble. Proctors are a gamble. The uh, committee at the University of Texas cites the psychological toll on students and the financial toll on academic institutions. I think I, w- I know which one they care about. It's just a, just a hunch. And from an even darker corner of this smart world, at least two, is- two U.S. officials in Germany developed symptoms consistent with Havana syndrome and sought medical treatment, according to a Wall Street Journal report published this week. They cited unnamed U.S. diplomats. I'm sure they were named at some point in their lives, but... They're being anonymous now. It's the first time suspected instances of the mysterious ailment have been reported in Germany. Similar incidents had been reported recently by U.S. officials in other European countries, according to the journal. The intelligence officers and diplomats who developed symptoms had been working in Russia-related areas like cybersecurity, gas exports, and, quote, political interference, unquote. German Foreign Ministry spokesman told... A press briefing he was aware of the reports, had no further information. It would be the first time, if confirmed, that Havana Syndrome symptoms have been reported in a NATO member state that hosts U.S. troops and nuclear weapons. Mysterious ailment first emerged five years ago among U.S. diplomats and their families stationed in Cuba. Those affected have complained of persistent fatigue, migraines, nausea, and nosebleeds after hearing shrill noises during the night. Since then, U.S. officials have reported similar incidents in China, Russia, and inside the U.S. Dozens of U.S. diplomats in Vienna this year have reported being affected by Havana Syndrome symptoms. 
Early in this month, during a high-level meeting of intel officials, U.S. Intelligence Chief Avril Haines said the U.S. is still unsure what is causing the, quote, anomalous health incidents, unquote. Also, she said U.S. intelligence knows nothing about what's going on in Afghanistan. No, she didn't. No, she didn't. The mystery behind the cause of the elements and that they occur among U.S. diplomatic workers have led to unproven allegations from U.S. officials that Russian intelligence could be behind the incidents. Havana Moon Havana Moon Be all alone with jug around You stand and wait for boat to come as long and night is quite the dark the boat she late since twelve o'clock He watched the tide Oh, 
Southern California, this is the show. It's going to be big. Um, just thinking about that uh, homecoming concert. The, ladies and gentlemen, the week abounded with accidental irony. The um, arch-conservative opponent of uh, Pope Francis, who was um, an arch-enemy of the vaccines died of COVID. A um, conservative radio host who criticized the vaccines has died of COVID. And this, a slightly different ironic channel, Saudi Arabia this week urged Taliban insurgents who seized Afghanistan to preserve lives, property, and security as stipulated by, quote, Islamic principles. Quote, the kingdom stands with the choices that the Afghan people make without interference. Based on the noble principles of Islam, the kingdom of Saudi Arabia hopes that the Taliban movement and all Afghan parties will work to preserve security, stability, lives, and property, unquote. Unless, of course, it's a Washington Post columnist, in which case, chop them up. No, they didn't say that. They didn't have to. Speaking of uh, that area, and uh, Pakistan, as I was at the beginning of the broadcast, it is the uh, word, not unspoken, but not spoken a lot during all this um, bloviating about Afghanistan. It is, of course, one of Afghanistan's neighbors. Pakistan is. It is uh, a country riven by its own problems. There is a an, a Pakistani Taliban, which the Pakistan government isn't really that crazy about, but they have helped the Afghanistan Taliban to a significant degree during this past little while, even though um, at the urging of former President Bush, they uh, declared their wholehearted support for the U.S. war against the Taliban in Afghanistan. There were um, a lot of savants over the years who explained, who were at pains to explain that uh, Pakistan's 
focus, now and always, has been on its rivalry with India. They are two nuclear powers staring at each other across uh, some some borderlands. Hello, Kashmir. And, um, and it's a, you know, it's a, it's a crazy little neighborhood. There's Iran nearby. And, um, these savants would explain that, you know, yeah, it may seem peculiar, but Pakistan is playing what they called a double game. Some games are simple. You win or you lose. One side or another. You just have to choose. But for Pakistan, it's a more complex clash. Played with arms and shelter and shrink-wrapped cash. Or against us, said the U.S. But Pakistanis reinterpreted success. Playing both sides has an obvious spin. Whichever side loses, you still win. You don't need full credit. Don't get full blame when you're playing the double game. Help the Yanks on even numbered days. The Talibs on their frequent stays. Money from this side, money to the other. Modest commission for helping your brother. Shrink wrapped cash. Neighborhood, everyone expects a sensible country to hedge its respect. Pakistan knows the game's highlight play, an ally can leave, but a neighbor must stay. If you stare at the picture, you might miss the frame. Pakistan's playing the double game. The double game. Just like the Saudis, without 9-11 shame. Pakistan's playing the... Double game, bull game.
like a sound you hear that lingers in your ear, but you can't forget from sundown to sunset. Nah, nah. It's all in the air, you hear it everywhere, no matter what you do. And then they dumped 17 million gallons of uh, raw sewage into it. And that's how you got California. And now, the apologies of the week. Deadline Oakland Park, Florida. South Florida newspaper has apologized after the publication ran an offensive advertisement that featured racist imagery. Inside the publication was an illustration that showed several people lynched and a West Side Story character dancing on top of the face of George Floyd. That's not from the Spielberg version either. The uh, executive editor, Jason Parsley, was notified. This is of the South Florida Gay News. And he said the illustration was a paid advertisement. Quote, it's hard to put into words the level of disgust I feel right now. He said, I didn't notice it, so I didn't flag it. The owner of the company didn't notice it. He didn't flag it. The designer briefly saw the ad and just thought it was a theatrical ad, for instance, and he didn't notice it. The ad was bought and placed by the Castro Creeper Society, an organization that says it champions fair housing prices in San Francisco. Yeah, that's confusing. 
the uh, leader said he commissioned the illustration because he thinks the musical West Side Story ignored the racial issues black New Yorkers faced in the 1950s. That's meaningless to me, said the uh, spokesman for the South Florida Gay News. That's why I'm not blaming him. We took the ad. It's our fault. Any money we received, we're going to donate to another organization because we want nothing to do with it. And uh, we wholeheartedly apologize. He adds, we're sorry. We're going to continue to have conversations inside the newsroom to see how it went wrong and how it went so, so, so wrong. David Mickelson, the co-founder and CEO of Snopes, the well-known online fact-checker has apologized and admitted to serious lapses in judgment for, as we shared with you last week, plagiarizing more than 50 articles. The uh, website apologized last week. Quote, there's no excuse for my serious lapses in judgment, Nichols said in a statement. I'm sorry I've given full authority to our managing editor to take any measures needed to address these issues. Used a pseudonym, unquote, he used a pseudonym, his own name in the Snopes byline to publish the pieces. He remains an officer and 50% stakeholder in the site. That's well, a soft landing. The model and actress Lily Cole has apologized after po- posting images of herself wearing a burqa. One of the few words in English where Q is not followed by U. I just interpolated to that because I find it interesting looking at it. Oh, this was in an attempt to embrace diversity and promote her new book. Hours after the Taliban took control of Afghanistan. In one of the photos, Cole's face is covered, and the caption links back to the promotional page for her new book on climate change. This is tasteful. Part of the caption read, Let's embrace diversity on every level. Cole was quickly slammed by critics who said the pictures were culturally insensitive and ill-timed. British journalist Janice Turner posted Cole's original Instagram story with the caption, Lily Cole and the vacuity of modern hashtag feminism. Unquote. Cole subsequently deleted the images from her Instagram story and published a statement of an apology where she said she had shared an old photo of her wearing a burqa that had been loaned by a friend. As she pointed out, says Cole, I was undermining its original purpose by wearing it with my face exposed, but I understand why the image has upset people and want to sincerely apologize for any offense caused. I hadn't read the news at the time I posted, so it was incredibly ill-timed. Thank you for pointing that out to me. Unquote. Detroit Tigers television analyst Jack Morris has been suspended indefinitely by Bally Sports Detroit. That's the former Fox News Detroit you're confused by the presence of the word Bally there, after he used an accent in describing what the Tigers should do when pitching to the L.A. Angels' Shohei Otani. Bally Sports Detroit said in a statement it was extremely disappointed with Morris's remarks and that the former Major League pitcher will undergo bias training. We have a zero-tolerance policy for bias or discrimination and deeply apologize for his insensitive remark, the network said. The Tigers said they support the decision. Otani said he heard about the remark but wasn't offended. I have no say to what the Tigers wanted to do or what they did with him. He's a Hall of Famer. He has a big influence in the baseball world, so it's kind of a tough spot, unquote. 
Later in the broadcast, Moore said before the ninth inning that he did not intend for any offensive thing, and I apologize if I did. I certainly respect and have the utmost respect for this guy. Don't blame a pitcher for walking him. Morris made his earlier comment in the top of the sixth inning when Otani, who is from Japan, was on deck with the game between the Tigers and the Angels tied at two. The play-by-play announcer, Matt Shepard, said, Now, what do you do with Shohei Otani? Morris said with an accent, Be very, very careful. Otani was intentionally walked. Dayline Toronto. The Ontario Progressive Conservative Party, yeah, they're progressive, but yeah, they're conservative, has apologized for sending out a fundraising letter to some residents that appeared to look like an invoice. The opposition liberals have called for a police investigation. After the letter was used, the word invoice in big letters at the top was sent out. One of the letters says, balance due $500 written at the bottom, and please respond today. A statement from the progressive conservatives said, At no time was it our intention to mislead our valued supporters. We regret that this correspondence was sent to a limited group of supporters by one of our vendors and will not happen again. We apologize for any confusion or frustration this may have caused. Statement concluded. Another uh, opposition party leader called it deceitful mail scam. But when in doubt, blame your vendors. And now, a $10 billion deal that would include sweeping legal releases to members of the Sackler family that own Purdue Pharma hovered over the company's bankruptcy trial this week. A former board member apologized for the drug maker's role in the U.S. opioid crisis. Mortimer Sackler, son of the late Purdue co-owner of the same name, fielded questions by video conference as part of the proposed settlement the family's putting up about $4.3 billion to resolve thousands of opioid claims by cities, states, and counties that accuse the company, Purdue, of duping doctors and patients about the addictive properties of its OxyContin painkiller. Quote, we're sorry that a medicine we put out to relieve pain caused pain to families of opioid victims, Sackler told the bankruptcy judge Robert Drain in New York on Thursday, likely the final day of witness testimony in the trial. Under questioning by lawyers for Purdue creditors that opposed the settlement, including attorneys general from a number of states, Sackler apologized for the many addictions and overdoses that opioids like OxyContin have caused. Quote, it's a truly horrible problem the country is facing, he said. Still, he testified to always trying to do the right thing in overseeing sales of the painkiller. Sackler's testimony contrasted sharply in tone with that of former Purdue president Richard Sackler, Sackler, his cousin, who the day before staunchly defended his family's handling of OxyContin and said he believed neither the company nor the family is responsible for the opioid crisis. The trial has seen rare public appearances from four members of the Sackler family. David testified on Tuesday, Kathy Mortimer's sister, also served on Purdue's board for about 30 years, took the stand Thursday afternoon. It was important to us that the market share of abuse deterrent opioids grew, Mortimer Sackler said. In 2010, the company did launch a version of the drug 
that's harder to crush. Unlike the lives of the people that are... Oh, come on. That's a cheap shot. The former Purdue director said he agreed with the government's claims in the company's most recent guilty plea over OxyContin sales and marketing. Purdue did plead guilty to three felonies, including conspiring to violate federal kickback statutes, who knew, by paying sham speaker fees to doctors who ramped up prescriptions for OxyContin. Apologies to the week, ladies and gentlemen. And speaking of settlements, oil pipeline firm Summit Midstream Partners is going to pay $35 million in federal and state criminal and civil fines for a 29 million gallon hydraulic fracking wastewater spill. Why, that's bigger than the raw sewage spill in the Pacific. Spill, I say, that contaminated land, water, and groundwater near Williston, North Dakota for months in 2014 and 2015 before it was halted. The event, which affected 30 miles of tributaries of the Missouri River, is believed to be the largest inland spill in history. It was visible in photographs taken by satellites, said uh, an official of the EPA. EPA and state officials ordered cleanup of contamination caused by the spill, pipeline testing, control room monitoring, and third-party auditing. The company, which said it has spent more than $50 million to date on remediation and mitigation, described the $35 million fine as severe under the circumstances. And finally, in the wake of the possibly alarming so-called wake-up call from scientists on the climate situation, which appeared not to have awakened us, Nations vulnerable to climate change now warn they are on the edge of extinction if action isn't taken. The warning by a group of developing countries. Say, we're paying with our lives for the carbon someone else emitted. That's uh, a former Maldives president who represents almost 50 countries vulnerable, most vulnerable, to the effects of climate change. Are we waked up yet? The Maldives is the world's lowest-lying country. The former president said the projections by the UN's Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change would be, quote, devastating for the nation, putting it on, quote, the edge of extinction. The UN's chief called the latest report a code red for humanity. The report says there is now unequivocal evidence that humans are to blame for increasing temperatures, leading to sea levels rising by three feet by the end of the century. A rise of up to 6.5 feet by then cannot be ruled out. That could have a devastating impact on low-lying coastal countries, as well as some cities right here in the good old U.S. of A.
Ladies and gentlemen, if anybody in the show listening audience or anybody in the White House wants to know what happened, to quote Fred Willard, in Afghanistan, one could do worse than read the accumulated reports of the Special Inspector General for Afghanistan Reconstruction over the years. I've tried to share some of them with you. I may make room for a big, long, lessons learned report from the Inspector General on next week's show, or you might read it in the meantime. One key little factoid, the number of desertions from the Afghan army every month reported might make you think, yeah, that that's not really an army. Anyway, next week, another Le Show on these same stations and on your audio device of choice. It'll be just like Afghanistan becoming the 51st state if you'd agree to join with me then. Would you already? Thank you very much. Uh-huh. Tip of the show, chapeau to the San Diego desk, to Pam Halston, to Thomas Walsh, WNO New Orleans. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans flagship station of the Change is Easy radio network. So long from the home of the homeless.